If we haven't met, my name is Dominic. I'm one of the pastors here, along with Chad and Billy. Uh, listen, there's several hundred of us here, over a hundred households represented. There's another hundred households, probably several hundred people tuning in live right now. Can we just give them some love real quick? All right, like Chad said, we are in Ephesians chapter 6, and this is our last two weeks in the book of Ephesians, and then we'll do a little Advent series leading up to Christmas, but we have been in Ephesians, I think, for two and a half years. So when Paul says at the beginning of our passage, finally, I'm feeling his uh, pain, finally, my brethren. So Ephesians 6, we've been talking about uh, the armor of God. Lately, we're going we're gonna to look at ver- the beginning of verse 17 in Ephesians 6, but let's start in verse 10 just to get some context here. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, take the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation. This is God's good and glorious word for us today, church. Let's pray together. As we sit in the peacefulness of this moment and the calm of the morning. The kids playing over there, we remember that our everything is found in you today. Our rest comes from you, God. And so we ask that our souls would be at rest today. We realize that there's a lot happening in our world and our individual lives that's not restful. It's not peaceful. It seems to lack hope. We bring all of that, all of our humanity and all those things we feel in our humanity, we bring it to you today, Lord. And we bring it to this word, your word today. And we ask that you would speak to us like only you can. I submit my uh, heart and my mind and my thoughts and my mouth to you today. I ask that I would be a mouthpiece for you, that my heart would be synced up with yours as I communicate the truth of your word. We ask that you would minister to us like only you can. For the person who's here today who has not yet decided to fully follow you, we ask that you would open their eyes to their need for you, the Savior, today. In Jesus' name, amen. Gosh, isn't it beautiful out here? It's so peaceful and wonderful. And In 15 minutes, the ring pops are going to run out, and it's not going to be that peaceful anymore. But right now, it's really nice. Um, you know, the longer I 
follow Jesus, and the older I get, and the older I, our kids get, and the longer I'm, I'm married, I, I realize that life is often a struggle. Yes, we'll have peaceful, restful times, and there will be lulls in the, the struggle, but it seems like so often the fallback state of the Christian is some kind of hardship. And this, this shouldn't be a surprise to us. You know, Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, not my world, my kingdom, not in heaven, but in this one on earth, you're going to have trouble. But be of good cheer, smile, be blessed, be happy because I have overcome the world. If somebody told you that when you put your trust in Jesus, all your problems would go away, then they were lying to you. Scripture says nothing about that. Even this last year for me, I, I found one of our family friends dead in his apartment suddenly. This week, I found out another person in my family has cancer. As we come into the holidays, it's like many of us are going to feel that like financial pressure of like, what am I going to do, right? We feel the like, ah. As long as we live in this world, we will experience all of that stuff. Really, it is the effects of sin. And that's just the normal stuff of life before the enemy even attacks us. But then on top of that, he will come in and he will bring his own agenda, right? He'll bring his lies and discouragement. And our passage says that we are in a spiritual battle. We got all the normal stuff of life, but so much of it is often the enemy capitalizing on that normal stuff and attacking us or just like starting that stuff in our lives. He'll come in and cast doubt and uh, discouragement for the believer in an attempt to prevent us from standing strong in the spiritual battle. But God has made a provision for us. He has given us armor so that we can stand. One more shout out to Neil Perro, who painted this beautiful illustration of this Roman soldier with the, the armor on. Today we're talking about another piece of armor. We're talking about the helmet of salvation. But before I go any further in talking about the helmet, I just want to mention four quick reminders about the armor as a whole. Number one, the armor is God's armor. We have to remember that it's called literally God's armor. We're in a battle. We need armor. God says, I will give you my armor. And the reason it's called God's armor is because God is actually the first one who is uh, depicted as wearing this armor metaphorically in Isaiah 59. In verse 15, it says, then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. Okay, so God looked at the land. He sees all this wickedness, and he sees that there's no justice there. And he saw that there was no man, there was no person, and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. There was no intercessor. So God is baffled as he looks at all this wickedness and no justice, and there's no one to stand in the gap and intercede through prayer and through action. And so God himself does something about it. It says, therefore, his own arm, God's own arm brought salvation for him. And his own righteousness, it sustained him. Check this out. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate, breastplate of righteousness, and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, accordingly he will repay fury to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. 
In the Old Testament, God is pictured as this victorious, mighty warrior who puts on this armor, clothing himself with the attributes of himself. And it is this armor, God's armor, that he gives to us that we might be able to stand in his victory. The armor is God's armor. The next thing we need to remember as it pertains to the whole armor is that the armor points us to and is ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. Everything about this armor points us to the finished work of Jesus on our behalf and is fulfilled in the finished work of Jesus on our behalf. So when we talk about the breastplate of righteousness, we're like, oh my goodness, Jesus is my righteousness. We talk about the belt of truth. Jesus is the truth. The shoes of the gospel of peace. Jesus is our peace. The shield of faith. Jesus is the object of our faith. And today as we talk about the helmet of salvation, Jesus is our salvation. Romans 13 says to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. As we are clothed with Christ, if you will, we are clothed with all of who he is and armed with all of who he is. He is our protection and our power against the spiritual forces of wickedness. Next, we need to remember that the armor is metaphorical. When we're talking about this stuff, it's metaphorical. It's not magical, okay? So we don't just pray like, Lord, put on the helmet of salvation, and we magically have a helmet that prevents us from the attack of the enemy. Every piece of the armor is a metaphor for a spiritual reality that is necessary for the spiritual battle. The helmet, for instance, is a metaphor, a picture of salvation and what comes from salvation, which is necessary for the battle. Which leads us to our last reminder, the armor must be appropriated in order to be effective. Again, It does us no good to talk about it or to pray about it in order for it to do its job. We must apply the spiritual realities that the armor represents to our lives. Today we'll talk about how to do that specifically with the helmet of salvation. Uh, I grew up playing football and as I thought about the all the gear that I would wear as a football player, right? Like I'd, I'd put on cleats and I, I would have like high top cleats for more support. And then, you know, we'd wear these like tight football pants and in the pants there would be a knee pad and there would be a thigh pad and there would be hip pads. There's even a tailbone pad. You wear a cup, right? Very important. And then you would put on shoulder blades, right? To protect this part. You would, if you're a quarterback, you'd even often wear a rib cage guard. And then you'd put a mouthpiece in and you would put on a helmet, And as I thought about all the gear I would put on as a football player, there was nothing else besides the helmet that gave me the kind of a sense of invincibility that the helmet gave me. Because you could take off the shoulder pads and if you get hit, you might have a dislocated shoulder, but you can like head to the end zone still, right? You take off your helmet, you get hit in the head, you're done, right? There was nothing like the helmet that would give me a sense of invincibility as I would lower my, sh- my shoulder and grab the ball and drive in to the opponent. For the soldier, the helmet would have given him the same kind of a sense of invincibility and assurance that he could move forward despite the onslaught of the enemy. The helmet was the last piece of armor that would have been put on the soldier before he picked up his sword and went into battle. And it is a critical piece of the armor because if you wanted to take out a soldier quickly, you would either aim for his torso where his vital organs are or you would aim for his head. And so the helmet obviously protected the head, but it also protected the neck and it protected most of the face. And it would have given him a certain kind of confidence when entering into the battle, knowing that with the helmet on, 
he would be able to stand against the repeated blows from the enemy. He would be able to stand when the enemy came and continued moving forward and even advancing. The helmet was essential for protection and for confidence, as is the helmet of salvation essential for the believer, for protection, right? It protects really the vitality of our spiritual life. Salvation protects the vitality of our spiritual life. We'll talk about how that uh, works in a few minutes. It protects the aliveness, but it also uh, gives us courage. It gives us confidence to keep moving forward. How does it do that? How does it give us confidence? Let's see it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, starting in verse 10. It'll be up on the screen. By the way, if you can't see the lyrics during worship, uh, they should be at realityventura.com slash lyrics. Okay, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4. He says, But you, brothers and sisters, you are not in darkness, so that this day should surprise you like a thief. He's speaking about the day of judgment that is coming when Jesus returns. You are children of the light and children of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then, let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. Okay, so there's a different kind of breastplate also, right? There's the breastplate of righteousness, but there's also a breastplate of faith and love. Again, it's figurative, metaphorical language to speak of uh, these things that are fulfilled ultimately in Jesus on our behalf. So put on faith and love as a breastplate. And listen, the hope of salvation as a helmet. Put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive Salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. The helmet of salvation is a helmet of hope. How does salvation give us courage and confidence to keep moving forward? With hope. So anytime you see hope in the Bible, it's talking about a future thing that is coming, something that God has already done, but that has not yet been fully fulfilled. The helmet of salvation is speaking of the hope of salvation that is found in our future full fulfillment of that salvation. Let me say it again. The helmet of salvation is speaking of the hope of salvation that is found in the full future fulfillment of that salvation. Hold on, Tom. Future salvation? Like, I'm already saved, bro. What are you talking about future salvation? How can salvation be future if I've got it right now? Well, there are, in fact, three tenses to salvation found in the Bible. Present, I'm sorry, past, present, and future. Just repeat after me. Say, we have been saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. Everybody say penalty. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. Jesus has already paid the penalty for our sin. When we put our trust in Jesus, our sins are washed away. If you have put your trust in Jesus, then your sins have been forgiven. Jesus took on the penalty that was due for you and your sin. He took it on and you have been forgiven of your sin. The penalty of your sin is gone. You have been saved from the penalty of sin penalty of sin. That is past tense. 
We are being saved from the power of sin. Say power. We are, present tense, being saved from the power of sin. Because Jesus beat sin and because we are in Jesus, we have power to beat sin. We are no longer slaves to sin. But this is a continual process of sanctification as we become more and more like Jesus and our power over sin becomes more and more complete in us. So we are daily being saved from the power of sin. That's present tense. But someday, future tense, we will be saved from the presence of sin. Say presence. We will be saved from the presence of sin There is coming a day when there will be no more sin and we will suffer no longer under the effects of sin. Somebody say amen. Amen. The helmet of salvation has to do with the future hope of that day when our salvation is fully fulfilled and we are fully saved from the presence of sin and everything that comes along with sin. Let's see it now in Revelation chapter 20. If you've got a Bible, you can flip there. So in Revelation 19, Jesus has returned. And then at the beginning of uh, Revelation 20, Jesus is setting up his millennial kingdom. By the way, the millennial kingdom is not talking about a kingdom of millennials. Uh, It's talking about the thousand. Somebody asked me the other day, is that what? Millennial? Like like millennials? It's like the Jehovah's Witness. Only 40,000 get to go. No, sorry. This kingdom is only for millennials. If you were born pre-1981, you don't get it. No, it's not that. Millennial means thousand years, okay? So the millennial kingdom in the Bible is talking about the thousand year reign of Jesus. So at the beginning, and millennials, you can go too. Uh, But at the beginning of of Revelation 20, Jesus comes and he sets up this thousand year reign, the millennial kingdom, okay? And then in verse 10 of Revelation 20, it continues unfolding what's happening there. Listen to this. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning fire where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. They will be tormented day and night forever and ever. That's good, right? That's good. I love this little saying that says, the next time Satan reminds you of your past, you remind him of his future. They will be thrown into the lake of fire, tormented day and night forever. And then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it is Jesus. The earth and the heavens fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. So heaven and earth, the old one is done away with, and there's a new heaven and earth coming. And then I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. So catch this. There's books, okay, in the plural, and then there's the book of life. The books in the plural is speaking about the books of evil deed. Every single thing that anyone has ever done wrong, the quote-unquote little things, the gigantic things, all recorded in the books. There's lots of books because there's lots of sin, right? But then there's this one book, and it's called the book of life. Keep reading verse 12. The dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them, and each person was judged according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. So we see that 
the lake of fire was created for Satan and his demons, and that is where he and they will go and suffer, be tormented. But anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life also goes there. How do you get your name written in the book of life? Well, it's called the Lamb's book of life. Speaking of Jesus, the Lamb of God, it's, it's Christ's book. For those who put their faith and trust in Jesus, their names are written in his book. And those people will not be judged according to the books, according to all the wrong that they have done, that we have done. They, we, will be judged according to what Jesus has done on our behalf because our names are written in his book. Listen, guys, as we are heading toward the soon return of Jesus and his return is sooner and closer, nearer than it ever has been, you better know which book you're going to be judged by in the end. If you have not put your trust in Jesus, it's time to stop messing around. It's time to stop playing around. It's time to stop waiting around. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to give your life to Jesus. Do not wait around any longer. You want to be judged not by the books, but by your name written in the book of life because you put your trust in Jesus. So the passage continues into the next chapter, Revelation 21. He says, And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. This is probably not talking about the ocean for all you surfers who love the water. This is talking about separation. There was no longer a sea of separation. And he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He, this is our future, listen to this, he will wipe away every tear. Somebody say, every tear. Every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. Say, no more death. Or mourning, say no mourning. Or crying or pain, say no crying or pain. Goodness, aren't you guys excited about this? Say no crying or pain. There's no crying or pain. This is what is coming. For the old things have passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything. Somebody say everything. Everything, everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true, that is the day when our salvation is fully complete. The day when the enemy is fully destroyed and thrown into the lake of fire, when justice finally prevails, things that we've been waiting for justice for will finally be judged rightly. And everything that has gone wrong in all of creation will be made right. It is the day when all the promises of salvation, all of them, are finally and fully fulfilled in Jesus. That is the hope of our salvation that the scripture talks about when it talks about the helmet of salvation. And that is what the helmet is all about. The hope of that coming day and that coming kingdom. Amen? But just like every other piece of armor, the enemy wants to destroy that hope. 
Remember, the helmet didn't only provide protection, it provided confidence to move forward, as it is with this hope that we're talking about. Because if you have just a smidgen of hope, that like, you know what, dude, there's coming a day I'm going to see Jesus, right? There's coming. If you just have hope, man, you can get through almost anything in life. Don't forget the context of this passage, though. We are in a spiritual battle against the forces of wickedness, and the enemy would love nothing more than to destroy our hope because hope and endurance go together, right? That's what we see in the book of Romans. Hope and endurance go together. We, we are produce, hope produces us even in the middle of trials, and then it produces character, and then it produces perseverance. And perseverance ultimately then produces more hope. But if Satan can rob our hope, then he can take away our endurance. If he can take away our endurance, then he can leave us ineffective, which is exactly where he wants us. We've talked a lot about the schemes of the enemy, you know, the things that he does to come against us, how he attacks. Well, he will use all of those things that we've been talking about the last several weeks and more to try to destroy our hope. He will use deception. He will use discouragement. He will use distraction and confusion. He will no doubt use shame and the temptation to fall into sin and overwhelm and exhaustion. As Brian spoke about last week, he will use discouragement, which can directly affect our hope, especially the kind of discouragement that comes from a continual struggle with sin or from suffering in our life. Listen, Satan doesn't always, isn't always the one that tempts us to sin, and he isn't always the one that brings suffering. He does sometimes, absolutely. But he will capitalize on it no matter what. No matter where it comes from, he will capitalize on it in an attempt to make us forget the hope that is beyond the sin and suffering that we just read about in Revelation. Which brings us to one more scheme of the enemy I want to expose here, the scheme of disillusionment. Disillusionment is where other things become so big and consuming that we begin to like lose sight of what is real and it's like cloudy and we're all like, like disillusioned, right? The enemy's tactic is to consume us with the things of the world until we lose sight of the eternal, hopeful future that we have. And, you know, this can happen with even something good in our lives, like a, a good cause that we're all about or, or a ministry that we're all about. It can become so big that we become disillusioned with what is really, like, eternal, and that thing kind of becomes our God. It, like, functions as a God. It's a, the Bible called it an idol in our lives it can certainly happen with something like sin becoming so overwhelming, the struggle with sin becoming so overwhelming that it overshadows our eternal hope of the day that is coming when sin will be no more. We can become disillusioned in a, in a way that the pain of suffering in this life becomes so strong, so strong that it begins to overpower the glory of the day that is coming when there will be no more suffering. Even something as sneaky as the fear of future. These are unknown times. And even for me, I'm in this very transitional season where Tim's coming on and I'm moving over and we don't know if there's gonna be finances at the church for me to stay on part-time, which is the plan. And that's like real for me, you know? I, I, can, I can be fearful of the future. And something as sneaky as that can come in and my present fear, our present fear can cause us to forget the future hope that we have in eternity. That kind of disillusionment has a way of discouraging and distracting the believer until we become all but ineffective in this battle against the enemy. Listen, Satan is out to destroy you. 
Sorry for the happy Thanksgiving message. But he's out to destroy you. And if he can't destroy you, then he will do everything that he can to cause you to give up. Disillusionment and discouragement have a way of doing that successfully often. How then do we protect against that? With the hope of our salvation that acts like a helmet for the Christian. I just want to encourage you today, if you find yourself in a struggle, put on this helmet. Put on the hope that comes from salvation. Because the Bible says that our future is so glorious that it will make the worst affliction on earth seem like nothing. Romans 8 and 2 Corinthians 4 says, Our present sufferings are not even worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal glory that is far beyond. Say far beyond. Far beyond comparison. Friends, there is coming a day when there will be no more suffering. There will be no more pain. When there will be absolutely no evil. No hatred. No wickedness. No corruption. There is coming a day when there will be no more natural disasters. There will be no more fear. There will be no more sickness, no more disease. There is coming a day when abuse will be wiped from the planet. There will be no more suicide and suicide attempts. Who knows what's going on with COVID right now? Like, right, are the numbers accurate? Are they not? I don't know, but I know there's coming a day when there will be no more COVID. There will be no more all this drama. There will be no more what's the truth and who's telling the... There will be no more division. There will be no more gossiping and slandering on sticky social media. By the way, you don't have to wait for the kingdom to come to stop gossiping and slandering on social media. You can just do it right now. You can just stop right now. Amen. There is coming a day when there's not going to be any more mistakes, no more mess-ups, no more failures, and then no more regrets, no more broken families, divorce, hurting each other. All that is going to be wiped away. Depression, done. Anxiety, done. Fear, done. Pain, done. There is coming a day when sin, suffering, and death will be no more, and every tear will be wiped away, and evil will be destroyed. And on that day, we will exchange our helmets meant for warfare for a crown meant for worship. To put on the helmet of salvation means that we fill our hearts and minds with all of these things that we're speaking about that are our future glory. We think on them. We dwell on them until they sink in. Remember, we got to appropriate each piece of the armor, right? The way that we appropriate the hope of salvation is like this. We rehearse these truths. We speak them. We sing about them like we're about to do in the second set. We thank God for them. We talk about them. We study them in scripture until they sink in so deep that they begin to change the way that we think about our present situation until that future hope becomes our present reality. I'll end with this. What's so interesting about this verb when it says 
take the helmet of salvation. Everywhere else it's like put on the, put on the, put on the. And then here it says take. Literally, the word in the Greek means receive. See, once the soldier had put all this gear on and then he grabbed his, his uh, shield before he picked up his sword, he would only have one hand and somebody else would actually come and put the helmet on him. I'm telling you, Christian, like a father takes a helmet and puts it on his son and says, get out there in that game. You got this. Our heavenly father puts on us the hope of salvation as we dwell on and think on these things. And can you imagine going into a game where you knew the, the result? Like, I'm winning this game. The, 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 it's been written, I'm winning this game. The kind of confidence and assurance and boldness and courage that that rises up in you. Guys, that's our story. We just read the end of the, the, the story, right? We just saw the last quarter of the game. Jesus wins and we're on his team. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this hope of our future fully fulfilled salvation when all things are made right. God, it's so good to remember that. I have had hours to sit with this reality, Lord. I pray that your people today would be filled with all the hope of these things. Jesus, you are our hope. You're it, Lord. So we ask today that you would fill your people with yourself and with the hope that comes from who you are. Before we go into this second set of worship, I just, I just want to give anybody an opportunity to commit their life to Jesus today. Listen, the Bible says that Jesus is going to return and he's going to come like a thief in the night. We don't, we don't know when. There's signs, you know, there's been signs for thousands of years. It might be in 10 seconds. Okay, it wasn't in 10 seconds, but it could have been, right? We don't know when. We don't, we don't know when our last day is. The Bible says it's written. Your last day is written. When I was 11 years old, my next door neighbor, who was one of my two best friends, was playing with his dad's gun and shot himself, killed himself. You don't know when your last day is going to be, but when you die, you will stand before God. And you are either going to be judged according to your deeds, or you're going to be judged according to what Jesus did on the cross. And I'm telling you right now, there is no amount of good deeds that will get you to heaven. The Bible says if you have broken God's law in one single way, that means told one little tiny lie one time in your life, that you have broken all of God's law. There is no access to God apart from Jesus. Jesus took on the penalty for your sin. And the Bible says that if you put your trust in him, then you will be saved. Today is the day to stop messing around. Today is the day to stop waiting around, but I just want to like keep living and I'm, I'm doing this. And you know, after I do this, and I, I used to say, after I get out of college, God, after I get out of college, I'm going to follow you because I want to party in college. I want to have fun. Stop wasting your life. Stop wasting your life. Today is the day for you to turn to Jesus. 
So if that's you, I just want to pray with you. I'm going to ask you that you would raise your hand up right now if that's you. If you're like, I want to fully commit my life to Jesus today. Raise your hand up high. Like you mean it. Raise it up high like you mean it to the Lord. Yep. God sees you, sweetheart. Raise your hand up high. If you've been messing around, if you've been like dabbling in sin, today is the day for you to say, I'm following Jesus. If you want to know that your sins are forgiven and your name is written in that book, raise up your hand right now and join this, this young lady over here. Yeah, brother, I see you. Anybody else? If that's you, say something like this to God today. Say, God, I know that I've messed up. But I also believe that Jesus died on the cross and took on the penalty for my sin. I give you my life today. I believe in your son, Jesus. I ask that you would save me and you would put on me the helmet of salvation. And with the helmet, the hope that comes from that future fully fulfilled salvation. I want to follow you. Put your spirit in me. Make me alive today. Amen. We're going to enter into a, uh, what we call the second set now, second set of worship. This is a time for us to respond to anything that's going on in our lives or anything that we feel like God just spoke to us. During this time, I would encourage you to contemplate these things, to sing these things. The prayer team will be on the right and the left by those prayer team signs. They are trained, amazing people that would love to pray for you for anything. You're struggling with a financial situation, go get prayer for them. You got a, a, a physical ailment, go get prayer for them. We're going to lay hands on you. We believe that God heals people. We believe that God is still in the business of healing people. Your marriage is on the rocks, go get healed for them. Go get prayer for them. Your marriage is rocking, but you just want some prayer, go get prayer from them. They would love to pray for you. Regardless, let's respond now in this time of worship.